The Innovate 608 podcast is brought to you by Starting Block Madison and sponsored by the Wisconsin State Journal, Madison.com, and the American Family Insurance Institute for Corporate and Social Impact. The Institute invests in visionary entrepreneurs who are building scalable social enterprises, offering economic opportunity for all, healthy youth development, learning, and academic achievement, and resilient communities. From the Starting Block Madison studio in the beautiful Capital East neighborhood of downtown Madison, Wisconsin, this is the Innovate 608 podcast, and I am your host, Nora Rowan-Schmidt. Today in the studio, we have Max Fergus of Loom. Loom is part streaming service and part social platform. It's a place to interact and to support artists and to place a place to discover new music, a community, resources, and most importantly, gets money into the hands of artists. Max, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Nora. An article that I read in Forbes about Loom recently said that Loom's streaming and discovery application, which is built on a standalone social network, enables emerging artists to circulate their music to larger audiences, grow their fan base, and make money. In just over a year, the Loom platform has grown to over 100,000 users and over 200,000 tracks uploaded to the app, making Loom one of the largest user-uploaded music streaming services in the United States. The Loom app is pretty incredible. Um, can we just talk about that for a moment? How, do you, how did you get to the place where you are? Tell me a little bit about your journey as an entrepreneur from idea stage to 100,000 users. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that article, I think, is a little bit outdated. We're actually now at over, I think, 175,000 just musicians alone on the platform. Um, Incredible. And over half a million tracks. And now I think Loom is actually the largest user-uploaded music streaming service in the U.S. Um, but my journey as an entrepreneur actually started out when I was in fourth grade. I uh, was homeschooled. Um, by my mom because, you know, I think she she didn't think I was being challenged enough in school. And so she homeschooled me and she said, I'm either going to take you through the regular curriculum or you're going to get to start a business. Uh, And so I ended up uh, really falling in love with geology at the time, was tumbling a bunch of rocks uh, and then went across the country and sold these rocks at art fairs. uh, And donated the proceeds to the Special Olympics of Wisconsin. And so my entrepreneurial entrepreneurship journey really started when I was relatively young. Um, It's only sad that it took me so long to come back to it all the way when I was a senior in college. So tell me a little bit about um, your college years and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, both of my parents were biochemists from Madison, so we were UW all of the way. Uh, my brother went to Madison uh, and then went and ended up leading uh, global marketing at TaylorMade Golf. Um, and so then when I came up, I, you know, I was kind of like, you know, probably trying to be the, you know, don't lead the, you know, don't follow the, the family entirely and um, ended up only applying to Stanford. It was like the only school I applied to got rejected, not surprisingly, and then was, you know, ended up making the best decision of my life to come to Madison um, but I think when you when when people get to college, so often what happens, especially at a school like UW, is that you are surrounded by people that are so motivated, right? So motivated because they feel like they should be motivated. It takes a long time sometimes for people to realize that true motivation is only rooted in passion, right? And the more passionate you are is really what leads to being as motivated as possible. And so, you know, I got to UW, started out in finance. 
spent some time in Shanghai, China, working for a venture capital firm, and then San Francisco working for an investment bank, and then suddenly three years of college were gone, and I was a senior, um, and I was going into my first week of senior year, uh, had just gotten an offer to actually leave school a little bit early and go join the starting team for uh, Rothschild's investment banking group in New York. Um, and the moment after I accepted the offer was the moment I realized that I didn't want to do finance for the rest of my life, wanted to be an entrepreneur, um, quit everything I was doing, started my own company, and uh, luckily barely made it to the end of graduation before I <laughs> dipped. <laughs> That's amazing. So tell me a little bit about, have you always just been a music fan? Why the music focus? Where did that come from? Um, honestly, my family is really, really big into music. I'm probably the least musically inclined person you will ever meet. Um, but you know, I grew up with musicians, especially in college, right? Saw them struggling. Um, but I've also, you know, our original thesis, cause Loom didn't start just being Loom. Loom actually came out of a think tank. We started a think tank at UW with some other distinguished students and alumni, um, and basically what we were looking at was these industries that were growing rapidly, but had really antiquated business models. And one thing that, you know, like a, a stat I had read was over the course of really the last five years, we've seen a, an industry like esports go from being a $5 billion industry to almost a half trillion dollar industry. And when you think about that, it's insane because music's been $25 billion industry, but music's been a $25 billion industry for like the last 10 years. And so I thought, God, if Twitch was able to give esports gamers just simply a little bit more technology to better connect with its fans, and that was able to almost, you know, 100x the, so the total addressable market of what they could capture, I, you know, imagine what we could do if we were able to give, the, to give musicians, you know, 60% of the largest popular social media accounts in the world are musicians, and yet they don't have any way to be able to community build, engage their community of fans, monetize their content, better control and distribute the content that they make. Um, and so as much as I was definitely a fan of music, I think I was a much bigger fan of even the opportunity that we had to create a really large impact. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how you went from idea stage to really putting things in motion. Um, what was the timeline like for that? And what was it like fundraising for the first time and putting your team together and getting the first um, version of the Loom app going? Yeah, it's a long road for sure. <laughs> they say the, the entrepreneurial journey is definitely lonely, but, um, you know, we were really really grateful to be, I think, surrounded by people that really supported us. I think that's like the most important thing possible when you're getting started as an entrepreneur is if you don't have a few people that are telling you to go for it, um, you know, it gets a, a lot harder to build up that courage. So, you know, we started, you know, really the first semester of our senior year, really kind of in this think take mode brainstorming, right? Every single person on our team had jobs lined up after school. So, you know, you're half foot in, half foot out something that I think is really one of the biggest areas that we can still improve on um, in Madison and at the, at the university is getting a few more people to put one foot in. Um, you know, and then during our winter break, uh, during senior year, we spent two weeks in an absolute cave 
and wrote a 50-page business plan. I mean, honestly, 90% of it, not probably super, super applicable, but the, the larger value proposition of how do we find ways to use technology to put more money in the pockets of independent creators still stands today. Um, and, you know, I think that that, if anything, didn't help us raise money, but it probably built our confidence that we thought that we could ultimately do it, um, you know, and, and at least have a shot at making it. You know, from there, uh, you know, the, the next, you know, six to nine months was a journey filled of telling our parents that we were going to forego our jobs and pursue a, a company full time, you know, spending hours and hours raising a thousand dollars here, two thousand dollars there just so that we could pay a contracted developer to create a very, very poor MVP version of our initial application um, and it kind of, for us was really fun cause it really did all culminate, you know, another a great shout out to Madison. It all culminated for us three months after we graduated school. It was the forward technology festival in Madison. Uh, and we won the pressure chamber pitch competition, which I remember was like, kind of like our crescenting moment. The next day we dropped our, uh, MVP of our pilot app. It completely flopped, but it was absolutely exactly what we needed to really get to our first round of funding and, and, and kind of give us the, the runway that we needed to at least go, you know, shoot our shot. Recently, I downloaded the Loom app, and I just want to congratulate you on the user experience, um, the navigation, also kind of the instant connection that you feel not only to the community, but to the artists. I'm really interested how you were able to create this experience so effectively. I've used lots of apps and I've never felt an instant sense of connection to a community before. Talk to me a little bit about how you, how you got there and, um, you know, what, how did you best determine how to create this experience? Because it really is extraordinary. Yeah. I, I think the, somebody once told me, We've seen a lot of platforms or companies or businesses or brands or creators that have exceptional brands and sometimes it makes up for a poor user experience. And, you know, obviously Loom has a, a great user experience, but I think the key there is that we have a much stronger brand, right? The, the, like, you know, when we were getting started and we didn't have the app that we had today, that same sense of community was always there, right? Like. You know, they, they always say if the goal is noble, make sure that you're working towards your goal because it's noble, not because of the end result that you're trying to achieve. And the goal that we are trying to achieve is very noble, right? We believe that there's a better future out there for artists and musicians and peers to be able to collaborate and creativity and community. Um, and so we still have a really, really long way to go in terms of our product roadmap. You're going to see a lot of things change on Loom over the course of the next year. Um, but I think the first thing that we had to establish was that sense of community, the trust that our community had, that we were trying to really create a better future for them. Um, and if nothing else, I think that that is, is probably still the strongest thing that we have going for us. I think what's interesting, too, is I've seen that, and I might be quoting this incorrectly, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I've got the impression that your target uh, market and audiences, Gen Z, and then also like younger millennials. And as someone who's just right on the older millennial slash Gen X uh, spectrum myself, I was incredibly, I felt connected in a way that I don't usually with 
um, apps that are not really directed at my age level. So I think, you know, kudos to you for creating something that really um, does work for all people. Mm -hmm. I mean, those Gen Zs are really smart kids. I mean, they, (laughs) um, you know, the... They did a study and the the word of the decade, they said, or the word of the generation for Gen Z was authenticity. And it's so true, right? The, you know, especially growing up in a world filled with so much mobile connectivity, um, you know, a lot of those kids get thrown so many ads. They're part of the attention economy. People are getting tired of the attention economy, right? They're moving towards the passion economy. They can see through BS so much easier and it's very similar to music like that, right? Music, obviously, there's so much quality music out there, but um, you know, people right now are falling in love with artists just because as much of the things that they stand for and the values that they have, as much as it is because of the quality of their music and loom, you know, if nothing else, really does give people the ability to understand who's behind the music, right? Musicians are the only content creators that create all types of content, music, media, video, you know, and, and, and for us to be able to allow them to highlight their entire brand alongside their music, I think has given people a different way of feeling uh, access to the artists that they love. Um, and I think that's really something that we're going to continue to hammer home here over the next year for sure. Definitely. Well, and just the fact that it feels genuine, I think is extraordinary, truly. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Let's talk about being a CEO. what's the best thing about being a CEO and what has been challenging for you? Um, Ooh, that's a great question. I could probably ponder that for many an hour. (laughs) Um, I think by far, I mean, by far the best thing about being a CEO is getting the, at least the opportunity to inspire people. You know, I think like getting the opportunity to inspire people and work with people and, you know, like be a, being, you know, learn, getting, getting the even opportunity to learn what it means to be a good leader is just such an exciting opportunity because, you know, and, and, and honestly, bigger shout out to my team here than anything of giving me, giving me some time to learn how to do it effectively. Um, you know, they really deserve much more credit than I do for hopefully working my way up the learning curve. Um, you know, honestly, I don't know if there really is that many tough things about being a CEO if you're passionate about it. You know, I absolutely love, you know, the 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 best leaders start out as really good followers, right? And I always was, I think, even a better follower than maybe I was in a, a leader until I, you know, really got into that position. Um, and I think it, just having really great mentorship has been hugely helpful there, right? understanding that you work for your employees and they don't work for you, right? Some really, really powerful lessons you get to learn around the way. And I think more than anything, I'm so grateful to have gotten to learn any of those lessons that anything that would be considered, you know, an issue or um, something that was hard is, you know, is a first world problem. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be able to go through those struggles and be able to get the opportunity to learn those lessons in the first place, I think. You mentioned mentorship. Uh, do you have a mentor or someone who you really look up to or admire? I think I have both mentors and role models. You know, I think that there's, um, you know, definitely a difference between the two. Um, I have so many mentors, um, 
I'm so grateful to be able to have so many mentors, I think, right? Maybe not necessarily like one singular one. I think both my mom and my dad have given me more mentorship than anybody else could really ever really be able to do. But, you know, like my role model is absolutely like Elon. I'm a total Elon head, you know, you know, that my, cause that's really what I want to do for the rest of my life. Right. I, I, you know, I believe that you have to start PayPal before you're able to start SpaceX. Right. And I, I, um, you know, I would like to think that that's the, you know, the career journey that I would love to be on is to always continue to work on solving the world's problems. Um, and I think that hopefully I'll get the opportunity to spend the rest of my life working on stuff like that. On your website, you list not only certain members of your team, but also a group of advisors. Mm. Can you talk about the importance of advisors to, to Loom at this point? Oh my gosh, it's insane. There's nine types of business risk, right? I think it's probably one of the first things. I don't even know if they teach it to you in business school, but the first thing I looked up the first day I ever started Loom was what are the major types of business risk? And there's sales risk and team risk and recruiting risk and financing risk and all of these different types of risk. And they said that at most you have maybe one and maybe you're good at one and okay at two of them and you probably suck at the rest, right? And advisors are where you fill in a lot of those gaps, right? They're not going to be operational employees, but they're going to one, maybe more importantly than anything, support you like we talked about at the beginning. And, um, you know, on top of that, they're definitely able to, um, you know, everything is a Google search away, but sometimes getting the chance to hear something from someone can save you days, you know? And I think being able to be efficient is another thing that our advisors are really, really, really good at helping at. So are the advisors on speed dial for certain things or do you check in with them monthly? How does that relationship work? I think if there's anything that I've learned from our relationship, you know, I'll be honest, we've had really phenomenal advisors. We've had some of the best advisors in the world. We have good advisors and we've had some really bad advisors. Um, and so I think if anything, the greatest lessons that I've learned will be understanding what kind of advisor I want to be when I get to that stage, uh, you know, in my career, when I have the opportunity to, to give back, um, you know, good advisors are ones that know, you know, that are able to see around the corners, right. Go above and beyond answer questions that maybe I'm not even asking them, you know, and I think, um, just being there and being able to support, being an instant line of communication, right? It's not necessarily something that's required. Not every advisor should be on speed dial, um, but you know, some should. And I think that, you know, those are the advisors that when I look back on, I think like, God, I don't know what I would have done without them kind of thing. What has the last year been like for you? Um, the reason that I asked that, it's sort of a, a two-part question. One is that I know that, there's been more coverage recently about mental health in in tech and in uh, entrepreneurship in general. And um, COVID did present many challenges for lots of entrepreneurs. What was the last year like for you? Yeah, um, you know, it's been insane. I, you know, for, for Loom over really the course of the last year, you know, like we don't want to be ambulance chasers by any means, but, you know, We've been a little bit in like that Zoom stage, right? Where the, the platform is even growing a little bit quicker than the company can. Um, but honestly, every day it seems like the line between success and failure is one millimeter apart, you know? And so there is ups and downs and downs and ups. And 
So I think from a company perspective, we've done, you know, exceptionally well. I think over the course of the last year, we've probably grown our user base by over 500% or, you know, whatever the metric ultimately is. Um, but I think the mental health one is definitely a larger topic, right? That one I think has definitely, you know, it's affected me. I think it's probably affected our team. I think the biggest thing that it's probably made people realize is that it's probably affects everyone, you know? And so, um, you know, like, I, I, I don't know if this is like the right quote or not, but they always do say like misery loves company. And I think for me, it has been, you know, it's been helpful to understand that a lot of the things that I think we go through as human beings are things that almost, you know, guaranteed so many other people are ultimately going through. I think if you're able to understand that, I think it makes it a lot easier to understand how to really get past it and, and ultimately how to support, um, how to support other people. You know, I think that's a big one. When to reach out to people ahead of the time when you think that it's necessary is probably one of the biggest things that you learn as a leader during that time as well. I saw a quote from you that where you said that innovation always wins. Tell me more about that. Yeah, honestly, that quote was very, very specific to music as well. Um, you know, the music industry is one that's been held on by gatekeepers for so long. When gatekeepers are holding on to an industry, they obviously fight change. Sometimes they're really, really, really good at fighting change like the gatekeepers in the music industry are. Well, what that does is it keeps the total addressable market, right? The total value of the industry smaller because if there's only three people that control the industry, they're totally fine taking $25 billion. They don't necessarily need to see it grow. That pie doesn't need to grow for them. But when gatekeepers are holding on to control the industry and they don't want to see a change, it's the number one leading indicator for disruption in almost any industry. So the only thing sometimes that you can do to disrupt an industry that fights change because it's in control of the gatekeepers is to use technology and innovation to be able to do it. And so far, technology and innovation have never lost. I love that. Many of our listeners are interested in entrepreneurship and maybe they're entrepreneurs themselves or they're thinking about it now. They've got their legal pad out in front of them. They're taking notes as you're giving all of this wisdom. What advice do you give for the entrepreneur who's just starting out and is maybe a little bit nervous about taking that first step? Um, I have to say like, go for it. I think that's gotta be the one, you know, like in the end, you know, I, there's a really, really, really great quote from Jeff Bezos. I mean, he has a million great quotes. You know, one of them is like, you know, the the you know planetary alignment right needs to happen for every startup right effectively like the need to get lucky but um you know i think like the big one for me like we kind of talked about earlier is like you know true motivation is rooted by passion right like you know i i they all i remember somebody once came up to me and they said you know you're gonna you're gonna leave investment banking to go do your own you know your own startup like i mean are you even you know like are you, how much less are you going to work because you know you work you're supposed to work a lot when you're doing banking and and I remember like looking back at them and being like yeah that's true god I was working a lot when I was doing banking and then I looked up and I was like but I work I work a lot more now <laughs> than I did then you know and so I think that's like the truth is like in the end if you're not enjoying what you're doing why wouldn't you give it all you got you know go forward with it and 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 try your best to you know do something like that I don't think I've ever heard a single person even in a company that maybe didn't make it in the end to say that they regretted giving it a shot, you know? And so, you know, if technology and innovation are a hundred percent and it's a hundred percent that, you know, you're going to end up 
at least enjoying, you know, giving it everything you got to do what you love, then, you know, I, I, I have to believe that it's at least worth trying, you know? Absolutely. So what's next for Loom and for Max Fergus? Um, big plans. Uh, you know, we, uh, again, very product focused for us, uh, you know, over the course of the next year, you know, we have six to eight months left of really core product development, um, is really the way that we're putting it right now. Um, but we're talking and working with a lot of partners, you know, it's getting a little bit harder for us to stay hidden, which is exciting. Um, and so we have a lot of really big announcements coming up here over even the course of the next few weeks, and it'll be fun to get to fill everybody in for sure. Absolutely. Max, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much, Nora. So much fun. You've been listening to the Innovate 608 podcast with special guest Max Fergus, CEO of Loom. If you haven't checked out Loom, I encourage you to do so. Please find their app on the App Store or visit their website, loom.fm. You can also find Loom on social media. What's the most innovative thing you've done this week? Record a voice message or video message about your innovation or innovative approach and send it to us in an email at innovate608 at startingblockmadison.org.